We'll be looking at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. This is where we, this morning in particular, we get to hear the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. In looking at Matthew's Gospel, actually all of chapters 5 through 7 are from the Sermon on the Mount. So for those of you uh, joining us for the first time or still becoming a bit acquainted with our uh, customs during our worship service, I'll just add before I get started with the scripture that it's our tradition uh, after the reading for the reader uh, to say the word of God for the people of God and then a collective response from all of you here or at home or wherever you are to say thanks be to God. For these words that have, have come to us through the ages. So now to, to the reading. So again, this is Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And that ends with an exclamation point, not with a question mark. The word of God for the people of God. So when I was eight years old... More than anything else in the whole wide world, what I wanted was a dog. I had just finished reading the book, Where the Red Fern Grows, and I had been watching reruns of the TV show Lassie. And as far as I could tell, I was the only boy in the world who didn't have a dog, and I felt like the universe owed me a dog, and I was pretty convinced that my life wouldn't be complete until I had a dog. And so I started working on my parents. I begged and I pleaded and I bargained and I cajoled, but I wasn't making any headway with my parents. My parents were steadfast in their resolve. And then one week in Sunday school, our teacher taught us this prayer. And she said, this is a very special prayer. She said, this is the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. She said, this is the way that God wants us to pray. And as my Sunday school teacher was talking about prayer, suddenly a light bulb went off for me and I realized that I didn't need to convince my parents to get me a dog. I realized that I could go over their heads. I could uh, plead my case with a higher authority. And when my teacher said, uh, you know, this is the way that God wants us to pray, I realized that I had something God wanted. And as far as I was concerned, that gave me leverage. That gave me bargaining power. And so for the rest of that Sunday, all through Sunday afternoon, I worked on a plan. And that night when I went to bed, I put my head on the pillow. And then I reached out to God in my mind and in my heart. 
in prayer. Now, I had spent the whole day thinking about how I wanted this conversation with God to go. I had considered several different approaches. I thought about taking a very straightforward approach and saying, listen, God, I'm going to make you a deal. I know you want me to say this prayer, and what I want is a dog. And so if you can swing me a dog, I will promise to say this prayer to you every day for the rest of my life. I thought about offering God a deal, but even at eight years old, even with my not very sophisticated eight-year-old theology, I still had a feeling that that probably wasn't the best way to bring this up before the Lord. I had a feeling that God probably didn't like being pressured or coerced, and I thought maybe if I open this up like a negotiation, that'll backfire on me. And so even at eight years old, I knew that I needed to find a better way of talking to God than that. And so I worked hard and I came up with an alternate plan. That night I put my head on the pillow. I reached out to God in prayer. And this is what I said to God that night when I prayed. I said, dear Lord, our teacher in Sunday school this morning taught us a prayer. And I guess you came up with it. Good work. I really liked it. I thought you did a good job. As a matter of fact, I think this prayer is so neat and I love you so much that here's what I'm going to do for you, Lord. I promise that I will say this prayer every day for the rest of my life. As a matter of fact, I'm going to start right now. I'm going to say that prayer to you. And then I did. I said the words that our Sunday school teacher had taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's how I prayed. And then I said, and oh, by the way, God, I sure would like a dog. But I want you to know that my saying that prayer every day is not in any way connected to or contingent upon you helping me get a dog. I, I'm going to keep on saying that prayer every day, whether you help me get a dog or not. But I sure would like a dog. Amen. That's how I prayed that night. And I figured that probably ought to do it. I said, how, how on earth could God resist? How could God say no to such an earnest and heartfelt and unselfish prayer? I figured all I had to do now was wait, wait for my dog to arrive. I figured wrong. And it turns out I never did get that dog. A dog never showed up. But it turns out it did matter what my parents thought about whether or not we were going to have a dog. I never got my dog. But something remarkable happened, uh, particularly considering that I was eight years old at the time. I kept the promise that I made to God that night. Even though the dog never showed up day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, I kept on saying that prayer. Every night when I would go to bed, Every night when I would lay my head on the pillow, I would reach out to God and say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I did a little bit of math this week, and the way I figure it, I must have said the Lord's Prayer every day for something like 13,500 days in a row since I was eight years old. And over the years, as I kept on saying that prayer over and over and over again, it became the backbone of my relationship with God. 
Now, there were some days when that prayer, that 29 or 30 seconds of saying the Lord's Prayer each night, that was the only moment of intentional connection that I had with God that day. I said that prayer during times in my life when I felt close to God. I said that prayer during times in my life when I wasn't even sure I still believed in God. And a sort of miracle happened over the years as I kept saying that prayer over and over again. It started to shape my faith. It started to shape my relationship with God. It shaped the way I think about God. It shaped the way I talk to God. It shaped the way I think about my neighbors. It shaped the way I relate to my neighbors. That prayer over and over and over again shaped who I am and the way in which I live my faith today. Over the years, I've come to appreciate the wisdom and the power of that simple prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And that's what we're going to be digging into for these next few weeks in worship. In worship for the next few weeks as we make our way through this series, we're going to make our way through this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples step by step. We're going to see if we can understand what Jesus intended, what he was thinking when he taught these words to his disciples. We're going to see if we can learn what this prayer has to teach us about our relationship with God and our relationship with ourselves and our relationships with one another. And as we begin this journey together, there is something that we need to acknowledge. There's something we got to talk about. We got to talk about the elephant in the room. We need to talk about, as we start this journey together, and acknowledge the fact that this prayer, the way in which I learned it and the way in which many of you probably learned it, this prayer, this thing we call the Lord's Prayer, is weird and it's hard to understand and it's filled with words that nobody uses anymore and it's filled with language that nobody speaks anymore. And sometimes as we say the Lord's Prayer together, it's almost as if suddenly we're Pentecostals and we're speaking a foreign language that nobody, nobody outside the walls of this place speaks. A few weeks ago in worship, we were having a conversation with the children about the Lord's Prayer, and I asked the congregation, I said, how many of you have been saying the Lord's Prayer for most of your life? And a whole lot of hands went up. And then I said, now how many of you, even though you've been saying these words for most of your life, still struggle to understand the meaning of some of these words or what we're saying to God when we pray these words? And just about the same number of hands went up. And there's a reason for that. The reason is that the Lord's Prayer is filled with this old-timey language and words like thee and thy and thou that people just don't say anymore. And it turns out that there's a really interesting story behind why for 29 seconds every Sunday morning we suddenly speak a language that nobody, nobody else speaks. It has to do with a change that happened in the, the English language hundreds of years ago. So it turns out that hundreds of years ago, the English language was very different from the way that you and I talk to each other today in one very important way. Back in those days, people were very much aware of where everybody fit on the social ladder. Hundreds of years ago, people were very conscious about class and ranking people, and they had two completely different sets of words that they would use depending on what kind of a social situation they found themselves in. So hundreds of years ago, if you were talking to somebody who was above you on the social ladder, if you were talking to your landlord 
or talking to your boss, or if you were talking to the king of England, you would use words like you or your. Those were words of respect that you used for people who were higher on the ladder than you were. You would talk about your property, your business, your majesty, your kingdom. And if you were in a situation where you were talking to somebody who was below you, on the social ladder, you had a completely different set of words that you would use. You would use words like thee and thy and thou. You would talk about thy mule and thy home and thy table and thy daily bread. The one exception to this rule is if you were talking to somebody who was very close to you, if you were talking to a a dear personal friend, or if you were talking to somebody who was a member of your immediate family, then you would use words like thee and thy and thou as a sign of your affection, as a sign of how close you were to this person. That's the way that everybody spoke hundreds of years ago. That's the way the English language worked. But then around 400 years ago, in the early 1600s, a major transformation took place. A kind of revolution happened in the economy where suddenly lots of people who had never had money before had lots and lots of money. And those people started moving to cities like London, and they started dressing like the upper classes, and they started talking like the upper classes, and suddenly people found that it was really hard to tell whether somebody was above you or whether they were below you on the social ladder, and that was a problem because you could get in big trouble if you said thee or thy or thou to the wrong sort of a person. And so a few hundred years ago, what happened was that people decided the safest thing to do was never to say thee or thy or thou to anybody. They started using you and your when they spoke to anybody they would meet on the street, even the people in their own homes, because they didn't ever want to be accused of disrespecting somebody. The words thee and thy and thou almost completely disappeared from the English language right around three, four hundred years ago, except, except for 29 seconds every Sunday morning when the followers of Jesus got together for worship and said the Lord's Prayer. And why, why is it that the followers of Jesus in worship on Sunday morning kept on saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why did the followers of Jesus keep on talking in this way that was very quickly becoming old-fashioned? Well, it turns out, And this is going to come as a real shock to some of you. It turns out church people don't like to change very much. That was the way I learned it in Sunday school. That was the way my parents said the prayer. That's the way that that my grandparents said. That's the way the prayer is written there in the book. And so whatever is happening outside the walls of this place, we are just going to keep on saying it the old-fashioned way. And that has carried on all the way down to this day. And that's part of the reason why this prayer that we teach the children, and first we have to teach children the prayer, and then we have to work really hard to help them understand what all of these strange words mean. That's the reason why this prayer feels so out of step with the way in which we speak to each other, because even as the language changed, this this prayer didn't change. And so there's something unfortunate about the fact that at this one moment, one of the most important moments in Christian worship on Sunday morning, at this moment when it is so very important for us to understand what it is we are saying to God, at this moment we suddenly use a kind of language that is almost impenetrable to people in the world today. There's something unfortunate about that, but I, I think there's also something beautiful about that. I've always thought there's something really beautiful and really powerful about the idea that in a you, your world, we preach, we speak to a thee, thy, thou God. 
There's something beautiful about the fact that even if we don't know it, in the way that we say the Lord's Prayer each week or each night or each morning, there's, there's something about the way in which we say these words that says we're not talking to a landlord. We're not talking to our boss. We're not talking to the king of England. We're not talking to somebody who is high above us, but instead we are talking to someone who is right down here with us in this world. We're talking to a dear friend. We're talking to a member of our family. We're talking to someone who stands beside us and walks beside us and journeys through life beside us in this world. There's something beautiful about praying to a thee, thy, thou God in a you, in a you, your world. And that's the point that Jesus is making in this morning's scripture reading. In today's gospel reading, we pick up the story of Jesus in a moment when he's teaching his disciples how to pray. And as Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray, this is what he says. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. Think of it this way, Jesus says, those of you who have children, think about the way in which you love your children. Who among you, if your child came to you hungry and asking for bread, would instead give your child a stone? And who among you, if your child came to you hungry asking for fish, would instead put a snake on the table, Jesus says. And if you who have such a hard time loving, if you who struggle so much day to day in showing love to one another, if you know how to watch over and care for and love your children, how much more will God, who is made of love, watch over and care for you, Jesus says. How much more? How much more will God, who is made of love, watch over and care for you? I love the way that Jesus talks about God the Father. And we are so used to hearing people say that God is so high above us and God's ways are beyond our understanding and God works in mysterious ways. We are so used to hearing people say God works in mysterious ways. But do you know who never said God works in mysterious ways? Jesus never said God works in mysterious ways. You can read all of the Gospels and you will never once come across a verse in which Jesus says God works in mysterious ways. As a matter of fact, you can read the whole of the Bible and you will never find between the covers of the Bible a moment when the Bible says God works in mysterious ways. Those words don't come from Jesus. They don't come from Scripture. They come from a hymn that was written in 1773. Jesus never says God works in mysterious ways. Instead, what Jesus says is look inside your heart and find what love is there. Think about the person you love the most in this world. Think about what you would do for that person. Think about what you would do to rescue that person if they were in danger. Think of what you would do to make sure that person had everything they needed. Think about the joy you feel when you hear that person's voice. Find the love that lives in your heart, Jesus says, and then you will begin to get just a taste, just the first understanding of the God who is with us and who hears us when we pray. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would give us the confidence that Jesus had when he spoke to you. Help us to receive the confidence that he tried to teach his disciples when he said to them, don't be shy, don't be nervous when you reach out to God in prayer, but instead pray with confidence. Ask and seek and knock, knowing that the one who listens to your prayers already, already is filled with love for you. God, we pray that you would make us consistent and bold in our prayers. 
that we would form a backbone of prayer that would run all through our lives until we find ourselves in your arms. These things we pray in Jesus. Amen.